0: Welcome to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone, where America's top cleaning expert shows you the ins and outs of keeping a clean home and a clean business. From expert advice to cutting edge interviews, Debbie uses her 30 years experience to bring you the insight you need to be cleaning up. And now, here's your host,
1: Debbie Sardone. (laughs) Welcome to episode 17 of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone. It is a beautiful spring day in Dallas, Texas, and it's that time of year that people are outdoors, gardening, planting, weeding, weeding out all those flower beds and just basically enjoying all the colors of spring. I know at Buckets and Bows Maid Service, we are so busy. People don't want to be stuck indoors cleaning. They want to be outside playing or enjoying their yard or working in their yard, but they don't want to be pushing a vacuum cleaner or scrubbing a toilet. So for us in the maid service industry, it's really a very busy time. I mean, step outside if you would, and you'll know real quick what season it is. It's quite obvious. I know for myself, if I step outside, I start sneezing my head off. Thank you, Daddy, for passing on those allergies to all of us kids. I know instantly what season it is by going outside. We can clearly distinguish the seasons by by just opening the door and stepping out. But you have to pay close attention to identify the seasons in your business because it's different. Every business has seasons. And every business has a life cycle. We approach business differently during each phase or every season or every every uh, phase of our cycle. And understanding when that phase changes, understanding when the season changes in business is critical because it may not match the season outside. So let's just talk a little bit about the different phases of business of course there's the startup phase the startup phase that's during the startup of your business sales obviously are kind of low because you just launched that business you have higher expenses as you build up the assets necessary to run the business Uh, and of course you're spending money at that time because you're trying to launch a business in, in my industry, people tend to spend money on training and consulting. They need help. What? How do I set up this business model, which is um, what I do every single day during, uh, during the day. By phone, I work from home. And as a business owner, uh, uh, one of the most successful maid services in the country, I spend a lot of my time doing business training and consulting with maid services. And many of them are at the startup phase or they behave like a startup because they've been in business for many years and they've never really taken off the ground the business has never gotten uh very far it's it's not maybe uh, gotten past the owner doing all the cleaning so they're kind of like in the startup even if they've been in business for 10 years income tends to be a little low during that startup phase Expenses tend to be high, but obviously you want to be trending upward so that you can get to the next phase, which is growth. Now, at this stage, growth, this is where you're off to the races. Things are moving along at a fair rate. Income is on the rise, and of course, ideally, profits are on the rise. Now, I've seen plenty of businesses that are growing and growing and growing, and the profits are not obviously they've set something up incorrectly because if your business is growing you should also be able to be profitable now what you do with those profits should be your discretion obviously uh somebody's trying to grow the business aggressively or quickly they're going to take those profits and reinvest it into the business but at least the profits are there which is so important if you're trying to grow a business and if the the model works I remember in the early days of my business, after I launched the thing and after we were really well on our way off to the races and starting to grow, I remember there was a period of time where we actually kept a two-week waiting list of customers who wanted to start using our service. Oh, how I long for those days. (laughs) You know, that's when our company was small, we didn't have that many employees, and we had more customers wanting us to serve them than employees that we had to service the demand. So you're at the startup phase, you may or may not have a lot of profit, or a lot of revenue. And if you do have profit, you're probably reinvesting it back in the company. Then you move quickly to the growth phase. And ideally, you're growing. I'll tell you about a man that I I worked with for a very short period of time, many, many years ago. He was ready to start his cleaning business, but he did not want to invest in consulting and training. Even though he'd never been in this industry before, he had no idea how to set up a profitable model. And he had quite a bit of money. He had over $50,000 to spend on consulting, training, And marketing and launching his business. So he purchased just a few hours of consulting from me. And I urged him to buy a one-year consulting package because I knew he would need it. And I knew he would need guidance on spending that other $40,000 in cash that he had uh, wisely so that he didn't waste it. Unfortunately, he didn't take my advice, which many times along the way over the years that I would do random consulting with him half the time he didn't take the advice he paid for and he came to me nine months later after he had wasted about thirty thousand dollars of fifty thousand he had to spend on marketing and the sad part of it is he was in the growth phase but he wasn't making any money he was growing and growing he was growing rapidly but he didn't have profit because as quickly as he would grow, he would lose customers and lose employees. So he was constantly replacing customers and employees instead of adding to the customer growth and the customer base and the monthly revenues. So I did an analysis when he hired me this the second and third time. I did an analysis of his marketing spend and I discovered that of the $50,000 he spent on marketing, only $20,000 of it would I have recommended in the first place. The other $30,000 was completely wasted on expensive, ineffective marketing. He was growing, but he was also shrinking as fast as he grew. He didn't have a strategy. He didn't have a clear path to success, a clear Proven model to follow, and when I tried to guide him through incremental coaching, which is really not a great way to 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 hire a business consultant, because you're only asking for their help when you're putting out fires. You're not trying to prevent problems. But um, he he would follow pieces of my advice, and he would disregard and ignore or change pieces of my advice that that didn't appeal to him, like paying his employees. Really, really well. And then he would come to me asking, Why am I having such employee turnover? And of course, I finally caught on that he just doesn't listen to advice. (laughs) And I got a little bit blunt sometimes and said, Well, I told you this would happen. And I'm usually not that harsh. But when somebody ignores your advice, yet their goal is to grow, and they have all this potential and all this opportunity, and they grow and shrink and grow and shrink and grow and shrink, it gets frustrating. So the growth phase obviously is one of the phases in your business but you need to move from startup to growth and then you eventually move to maturity and then during the maturity stage your income continues to rise for a while and then it tends to level off and obviously profits um, should be at a steady pace as well and you don't need as much Uh, in your business in terms of equipment or furniture you you tend to be able to and I even hate the word coast but it seems like you can coast for a while because you've purchased all those uh, you know computers and you have your administrative staff in place and uh, you've got all of your vendors lined up you know what your marketing expenses are you you know what your rent is and ideally you've grown to fit your rent you know, they say in business that your rent should never be uh, more than somewhere between 5 and 10% of your revenues. And definitely in the cleaning industry, it shouldn't even be 10% of your revenues. So ideally, you've grown to fit your rent in terms of revenue, size, profitability, and so forth. And you've lined up maybe some bartering sources to help you uh upgrade any infrastructure that you need to upgrade. I know I have bartered for brand new phone systems. I've bartered for uh, computers and, and different things to maybe improve or upgrade my infrastructure without having to write big checks for these changes. So the maturity stage oftentimes is a place where it's the most comfortable in business. You feel like you're succeeding. You feel like you've finally made it. You Uh, You can pay your bills. The checkbook isn't ending up in the red every month. And you have a little more liberty as a business owner. I know during maturity phases of my business over the last 20 years, I was able to carve out days off for myself that I could take consistently. So I remember for many, many years when I was actively involved in the day-to-day activities, I kept a 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. schedule While my kids were in school, I could take the mornings off, let my staff open the office, handle all the morning chaos, and then I'd show up around 10 a.m. That way I could take care of my own personal life at home, my bills, cleaning up my own house, doing the dishes. I could be off by 3 to take care of my kids and so forth. So that mature phase tends to be very comfortable. Here's what happens, though. The maturity phase of the business oftentimes can be what precedes the decline, Because we do get comfortable, because we do think everything is rocking along smoothly, and we stop innovating, we stop being aggressive, we stop thinking of new ways to market our business and please our customers. We're just comfortable, and comfort is a dangerous place to be in in business, because it leads to the last phase, and that's decline. During the declining stage of business, hopefully not your stage, but income begins to drop and profits begin to erode. Slowly they slide away as a competitor is able to entice away customers with better service or lower prices and maybe a more modern approach to your business. Bottom line, you got to stay current. You have to be remarkable, not just relevant. We have to be remarkable. We have to change with the times we have to stay current we've got to utilize technology we can't get old in in terms of our business approach so we've got to change or die because otherwise that last phase of business decline is where we'll end up now coming up next we have Kronda Timish with Green Meadows Landscaping in studio and we'll hear how this smart businesswoman deals with the seasons of business
0: was up the dawn be sure to check us out on facebook twitter and, really and on the web really at the but I must be moving on. everyone hates a dirty house but who wants to spend saturday's cleaning there's the vacuuming the dusting the mopping floors scrubbing the toilets cleaning the showers and who even has the time to clean the ceiling fans or wash the baseboards And if the kids have a game, well, there goes the weekend. That's why I use Buckets and Bows Maid Service. I love my busy life and my clean home. Hi, I'm Jean Berg, and I am the creator of College Prep Genius. Colleges go up on their rankings nationally based on test scores. The higher you score, the more money you get. We teach kids that the SAT is a logic test. Every question can be answered in 30 seconds or less. Once a student learns how to take the test, they can raise their score hundreds and hundreds of points, and, of course, that's going to give them huge scholarship money. If you want to know how to answer every question in 30 seconds or less, go to www.collegeprepgenius.com. That's collegeprepgenius.com
1: to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio.
0: You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications
1: Network. Welcome back to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. I'm your host, Debbie Sardone, and this is the expert advice segment where we talk about growing and thriving in your small business. Kronda Timish of Green Meadows Landscaping is here with us. Kronda, thank you so much for being on our show today.
2: Thank you Debbie. I appreciate the invitation. A beautiful day to be out here.
1: It is. It's an absolutely gorgeous day, which I know is is so fantastic for your business. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Kronda. Kronda Timish owns Green Meadows Landscaping, a company she started with her husband Jeff back in 1989 after graduating from Texas Tech University with a degree in landscape architecture. They recently landscaped my backyard, turning it into a tropical oasis that literally exceeded my expectations and didn't even break the bank like I thought it might. I highly recommend this company and I love that it's woman owned in such a male dominated space. So thank you so much for being here. I have lots of questions for you as a small business owner, Kronda. Well, first of all, the first question I have to ask is, how did you guys actually get started in this business? What What possessed you to start your own business right here in Flower Mound, Texas?
2: Well, for us, the answer goes back probably Forty, almost fifty years now. Jeff started mowing lawns in Carrollton when he was 12 years old, and he mowed neighbors' yards, and he continued that business through high school and college. And so, when he graduated, he already had clients that he um, were existing. For me, I was working and playing in the dirt with behind my dad. From my earliest memories, probably one or two years old, could walk and was out there in the garden playing and continued to work for nurseries and local landscape companies. So really for both of it, it's something we've done our entire life.
1: Oh my goodness. You know, it's so funny how these early memories can oftentimes follow you through adulthood. While you were out there digging in the dirt, I was inside vacuuming and sweeping and mopping because I love to clean, but I don't like to work in the yard. So uh, it's funny how we pursue different directions.
2: Absolutely, a great (laughs) trade-off.
1: So what are some of the challenges that you faced early on when you got you know, really serious about turning this this small business into a real business. What were some of those challenges?
2: Well, a challenge for any small business is going to be how much time are you going to put into it um, for us, Jeff and I worked 100 to 120 hours a week. I actually worked two jobs. Um, worked Had a full-time job where I worked for Coca-Cola. And then I did designs on the evenings and weekends. And as we started having children, it was just a mix of all those things. But the biggest challenge is how much time do you have to make a business successful because you have to be all in it's not something you can do part time on the side
1: you know i'm glad you said that because i was actually talking with somebody yesterday who was interested in hiring my consulting services because she wants to start a maid service and she said you know i'd really just like to kind of start out kind of light and do it part time and do other things and and i said you know if you're not all in you're not going to be successful You've got to give it 110%. You can't give it 55% of you here and then 55% of you there in your other business. Which business do you want to succeed at? Because it's going to be the one that you give 110%. You'll fail at both businesses if they both get 55% of you. But guess what? You're still giving 110% and practically for nothing. Because it's hard to succeed if you're not, as you said, all in.
2: Absolutely. I agree with that statement. I think over and over we've had young men and women that have wanted to be mentored. And each time I think where their business has failed has been where they wanted to to have a part time job. And and this is just not an industry or when you're in the service business, you know, it's a full time job. You can't do piecemeal.
1: Yeah. Everybody wants to be rich. But not very many people want to do what it takes to get there.
2: They don't want to work at
1: it. They don't want to pay the dues. They just want to go straight to, uh, to the big pile of cash. <laughs> yeah, not there. And There's no
2: money tree in the back of our yard.
1: Like you said, you worked... 120 hours a week, you guys worked weekends, you were also trying to juggle a, another job and a family. I mean, you made sacrifices to yes. become a successful business. So if you had to do it over again, if you look back at all the years that you've been in business, and you had to pick one thing you would do differently, what would you have maybe done differently?
2: And, th- and that's a great question, Debbie. I think that's something that I've been asked um, a lot. To be honest, I think I'd say we wouldn't have done anything differently because I appreciate the failures that we had. Um, each time we made a mistake and we fell flat on our face or it didn't work out, it gave us an opportunity to really look at our business, look at where we were going, and where could we change or do it differently. Um, so often businesses don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to fail. And so that fear of failure, I think, holds them back. And so every along our journey that we've been in business since 1989 – Every time we've we've taken a wrong turn and we've course corrected, it, it's just been better every time. We've learned from our mistakes. So if you're a new business, try, work hard, give it 110%, but give yourself the freedom to fail.
1: So don't be afraid of failure. I love what you just said because... For many, many people, failure marks the end. But with your level of determination as a business owner, failure just meant a turning point. Okay, we're probably not going to make that mistake again. So glad that's over with. Now, what did we learn from it? How do we grow from that? Exactly. And I think that sets you apart as a business from the other businesses that are struggling and eventually give in. They, they throw in the towel because they don't know how to deal with failure and they certainly don't know how to come back from failure. I've seen quite a few times in my business where I thought the failures that I was experiencing in the moment might do me in but I was just too stubborn. I was too stubborn to give up and I'm not a quitter and I would just roll up my sleeves and try to figure out what was I doing wrong and that's why I failed and how can I move forward and not do that again.
2: Right, and sometimes those failures can show you that the the client or your customer expectations have changed over time. What clients wanted 20, 25 years ago is is not the same level of expectations, so we've had to adjust. And that helps us to then become more efficient and do a better
1: job. Change is the one thing you can definitely count on. Absolutely. Uh, You can count on change never changing because (laughs) every few years, what worked then will no longer work now, and there's no sense stewing over it. There's no sense fretting and even fighting it. What customers want will change, and if you can change with it, you're going to be one of those businesses that have longevity, and if you can't change with it, you're going to be another business laying on the pile of the heap of failed business ventures. So looking back, uh, maybe talking to a brand new startup no matter what industry they're in what advice can you give that new business startup that they all need to hear
2: i think for our business for green meadows design and landscaping i think you really need to set out your vision of what you're willing to do and where you're what you want to do and what you're willing not to compromise on and for us we um are in an industry where we use um, in our employees, our background checked, we pay taxes, um, we pay time and a half. We don't compromise um, on our values, our honesty, our integrity. And so that I think that's something that's really important because you will be asked by um, others if you're willing to, to take cash or you're willing to do something that might compromise your value. And for us, that was a hard and fast line. Um, That was an easy answer to say, but over the years, you just have to continue to say, I'm willing to take a stand and walk away from this because this compromises our values.
1: You know, it's easy to say, but it's very difficult to do. And that's why most people are not doing what you just described. And they're taking shortcuts in life and taking shortcuts in profitability because they can maybe hire someone that legally they're not supposed to hire, but they're going to get away with it. And when you say no i'm going to do right by the law i'm going to i'm going to follow my values i'm not going to shortcut and operate in a way that's not ethical it, it may feel in the short term like you're going to be punished for it but i believe you're an example of how in the long term people are loyal to people they can trust and the ethics follow you in every piece of your business not just maybe one or two pieces and it quickly catches up with the person who's willing to be underhanded and unethical. And I believe you're rewarded as a business owner if you're committed to being ethical and honest and having those values in everything you do from employee labor to reporting your taxes to being honest with a customer when you've made a mistake. It, it all comes out.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it allows you to sleep well at night. You do not. I mean, there's so many stressed out business owners um, because at some point they've compromised their value. And I can tell you don't. If you're starting out, um, do right with what's in your heart. If you
1: want to sleep well at night, you really have to have peace of mind, not even so much money in the bank, but you have to have peace of mind. And I think that's really fantastic advice. And then one more question before we take our break, Um, just shifting gears a little bit. How do you get the word out to get new customers? Because I know there's competitors on every single street corner. What What's some of your best methods to just let the public know that you are there and you're ready to serve?
2: I think for us, and this is something we have grown to to value, is we have the best clients. We have the most amazing people who um, are such a champion for our business, and they do such a great job on social media, on the community websites and apps where they're promoting our business. Um, Over and over, I'll go on, and Green Medals will be tagged, or we'll get comments, we'll get texts, just passed on your name, and I cannot thank our clients enough.
1: Well, you know, happy customers make new happy customers.
2: Absolutely. And
1: we've learned over the years that those are our very best referrals. Yes. They are more serious about doing business with you. And they're not going to pick your price apart because they already value uh, what you bring to the table versus just looking for the cheapest deal.
2: Yes, that's true. That so is so true.
1: solid referrals is definitely uh, an important part of business. And I can tell you right now, after having my yard done and after talking with with probably some of your competitors and not having as good of an experience with the conversations that I had with them, we have no regrets about not only hiring your service. Our yard is absolutely beautiful. There were no surprises. There were no hidden charges. There weren't any uh you know conversations halfway into the job that well it's going to cost more now it was all straightforward the work was done on time and my yard is absolutely beautiful. I mean, I have an oasis in my backyard. Yeah,
2: thank you so much.
1: I just I just love it. I mean, we spend so much time outside and you know, I think that's part of the quality of life no matter what business you're in as entrepreneurs, we need kind of an oasis to get away from the computer because nowadays our businesses follow us home. Even if all of our equipment is at work, we've got our iPhones We've got our little laptop, and if we don't have a place to just get away and forget all of it, uh, that's a mistake.
2: Oh, you have to recharge. Absolutely.
1: So I do love my island oasis, and we, we wanted palm trees in the backyard, and at first, you know, the, the technician that came out to work with us, he's like, oh, you really want three? And my husband was adamant. He was like, three, we want three palm trees, and now we're so glad we did, and they complied, and it's absolutely beautiful. So now, after the break, which we're going to take right now, we will be right back to learn more from Kronda Timish of Green Meadows Landscape and her Entrepreneurial Seasons and Life Cycles in Business. I was if up you're enjoying dawn. this episode
0: of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone, give us a rating on iTunes I really today. Have enjoyed
1: my stay, but a must be moved.
0: Who says green can't be clean? Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safe around pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you want to clean your home in half the time, visit speedcleaning.com and sign up for our speed cleaning tip of the week. You're The digital destination for premium talk radio. We're asking folks about marriage. Marriage makes me think of sports. You know, teamwork, dedication. Okay, let's see what people say. Let's say your marriage is a sport. What sport would it be? Basketball. Surfing. You have to be a team sport. A lot of back and forth. A lot of people watching. So how many people are influenced by your marriage? Hundreds. You really think about the ripple effect.
1: It's like a wave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Want to improve your marriage? For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org A message from the Catholic Church. You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Jesse
1: is a friend. We are back with segment three and speaking to local entrepreneur Kronda Timish of Green Meadows Landscape. We've been talking about business and the seasons in business and the life cycles and all the challenges. And Kronda, thank you so much for staying over for segment three with me.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Now, we've been talking in the first segment about business and the different phases of business, and of course, we did talk with you a little bit about startup, and of course, your tremendous growth that you've had in uh, the Flower Mound, Highland Village, North Dallas area, really. Um, But obviously, every business also, if they survive and they don't land on that pile of heap of failed businesses, they enter a stage of maturity, and uh, that's when things seem to finally be working and and uh, it tends to be rocking along. But I do know for all of us, no matter ha- what stage our business in uh, it happens to be in, there are economic challenges. So what would you say is, is your company's strategy for overcoming those economic challenges in the marketplace? Where there's so many price-only shoppers out there. How do you overcome that? Uh, a couple
2: of uh different ways one specifically when we had the recession in 2008 um, some of our competitors were doing landscape only for the landscape industry uh, landscaping is a high profit price point Um, and maintenance you have to do more maintenance jobs or mowing to get to the same level of profit and so a lot of them had dropped the maintenance what we realized is that in a recession in landscaping people can pull back um, and not landscape their yard but most wouldn't necessarily get a lawn mower and be willing to mow the lawn um, July and August when it's 110 degrees outside. So for us, it's just figuring out that balance of what a client is willing to do and what will what do they want to do. So we kind of just merge so that regardless of where we are with you know the economy's doing really good or we're we're struggling in a recession, our maintenance is about 50% and our landscaping is 50. 50- So that's really the balance, and that's something for any industry. Figure out what a client's wants are and then really what a client is probably not ever going to do themselves and make sure that that's a a piece of your business.
1: You know, I think that is so smart, and and that is obviously one of the other indicators, as I knew you were a successful business owner, that once you reach maturity in business, you learn these things the hard way. You know, a new startup is thinking profit, profit, profit. I'm only going to do all this high-margin work. And then they don't survive those economic challenges. And I remember back after 9-11 when my business went through one of the most difficult economic challenges I had ever seen. And it took me three and a half years to wake up that the times had changed on me. And customers' habits had changed. And their buying priorities had changed. And it, it I had to shrink and go backwards in size before I finally woke up and said, hey, wait a minute, I need to change my business model. It's not them, it's me. And if I change, I'll be able to survive, and I did. And one of the things that I noticed was during that really financially difficult time, A lot of people were calling on maid service for just one-time cleans just to get them by. They really couldn't afford weekly service anymore during that time. And they would just want a one-time deep clean. Well, prior to 9-11, when I said we used to have like a two-week waiting list for for customers who wanted to use our service, we would turn down one-time cleans because we were too busy. It's like, why would I take on a one-time clean when I got them lined up at the door saying I'd like to hire you weekly? So... Back in those days, we would turn down one-time business. We just weren't interested. It wasn't as profitable. They might produce a coupon. We might have to stay longer than we maybe bid the job for and then eat some profit there. And so we just didn't have to do one-time cleans. We would turn people down left and right for move-in, move-out cleans, or would you come and do a big full-blown spring cleaning for my party? But then after 9-11, when the market changed on me, I realized, you know what, we need to do everything we can. If somebody wants to give us money, why would we say no? And we had to change some of our strategies to make our one-time cleans more profitable. And we did. And guess what? Many of those one-time cleans, as you've experienced, then become regular clients when the economy improves. And who else are they going to call than the company they already trust and the company they already know will do a good job for them? Absolutely. You're you're right. So. That's part of being a mature business owner, is understanding we can't grab all of the highest profit margin jobs. We have to do like you described. We have to find out what do our customers absolutely need and what do our customers want and be able to supply both so that we are sustainable during tough times and those wonderful spring times as we all want to see in business. Absolutely. So shifting gears just a little bit, entrepreneurs are incredibly busy. I know you are one busy woman because I see you in the community and all of your involvement. What would you say is maybe your best time management tip for getting more done in a day? I think for
2: that is a willingness, and this is advice that I received early on, a willingness to leave things undone. Um, you cannot check everything off your list. You're not going to check everything off your list. And oftentimes, the things that you need to do are the things that don't have a deadline. But that's but there are projects that need to get done to grow your business, looking at your website or looking at, you know, employees, um, personality assessment and things like that. So they're big projects, but they're things that need to be done. And so I I do um, have a philosophy where I have to leave some things undone. Um, obviously, you're going to do payroll and you're going to do things like that. But um, I also, on Sundays, our family time is Sundays. And so we carve out time where we have a chance to rest and recharge um, because you, as in our service industry, people can call you seven days a week. There's always more business, another client. And so you really have to set those priorities. Um, and I think you just have to have accountability for Jeff and I being in the business together, where we both are willing to say, "I think you need to step back. I think you're you're overcommitted," um, and I think that having that accountability is huge.
1: So I think what I'm hearing here most profoundly is prioritize. Yes, you have decided that it's not possible to get every single thing done. Therefore, instead of maybe responding to all the urgent matters that may or may not be important at all may not move your business forward you've learned to prioritize
2: yes you perfectly put yes that
1: way you're getting done in a day the stuff that you really need to get done instead of maybe all the stuff that everybody else needs you to do
2: (laughs) that's right and as a business owner you really do have to pull back because you you're managing more than just um, the job. You've got employees and clients and business growth and a lot of other things on your plate.
1: Right. And of course, all entrepreneurs are busy. So I know sometimes it's difficult to take time to read and to grow personally because you're so busy running a business. But I've also learned that some of the best business owners are always reading a good book. So I'm going to have to ask you, are you reading a good book right now that you can recommend? And if you are, tell us a little bit about that book.
2: Absolutely. And I'm actually rereading this book and it's the fine art of small talk by deborah fine um for me as a business owner i would say i'm probably a balance of more of a leaning towards an introvert and this is a great book for all of us who own a business you are in situations all the time where you're talking to people or new people and conversation starters and this real this book really gives great tips on how do you sustain conversations, how do you um, enter conversations, how do you gracefully exit a conversation when you're in a networking event. It really gives you the tips and tools to do that um, fluidly and that was for me I think personally not a strength and so I love having um, ideas and tips that I can have in my back pocket to be able to be confident when I go into any networking event and know how I can Um, meet new people and really engage in a level that can bring in new business.
1: You know, I'm so glad that I get to interview successful entrepreneurs because uh, you've probably recently taken the disk analysis and I know I have recently too. And where I fall on the disk analysis, I would never have read that book (laughs) because I have no problem talking with people. But That's only one element of four different behavioral styles. And there's a lot of people out there that struggle with going to a networking event and what on earth am I going to say to these people and how do I have a graceful exit and And that's a fantastic book, and I will not only get it and read it, because it would never have occurred to me, because I know I will learn something from it, but I'll have a great book that I can recommend to my clients who don't have the gift of gab.
2: (laughs) And I think that that is so true, and that just highlights a point. I think as business owners, we all look differently, and um, we have different personalities, so be comfortable in your own skin. And then in the areas, I mean, I watch extroverts and, and look at how they do things successfully so that I can learn and grow in those areas as well. And I also know I, I'm not going to walk into the room and be the center of attention but that's okay. I've got my areas of strengths and skills.
1: Right. And you're not under pressure to be that center of attention. Absolutely. Because on the DISC analysis, the behavioral styles are not an indicator of success or failure. Correct. You you, you know, just because you may be a high D or a high I doesn't mean you're automatically going to succeed. The weaknesses of those personality or not those behavioral traits can do your business in. And so it's not about success or failure. It's about understanding What dynamics of your behavioral style need some improvement, need some work, or definitely need to be elevated in your organization?
2: Absolutely. Just stretching yourself because the most successful entrepreneurs are always looking to grow themselves.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I I know you're introverted as a person but you're extremely delightful and pleasant to be around you're just a beautiful lady inside and out yes and I I mean that sincerely and I've noticed that you're I mean I know how busy you are you're a very busy entrepreneur but you're incredibly involved in your community tell me a little bit about your involvement and why you are so involved
2: Um, For us, part of it is with our children um, being involved in the public school system. We um, have just a passion and heart for kids in our community, and that has led from just involvement in our kids' schools and being an advocate for public schools to I'm now on the um, Louisville ISD school board as a trustee, um, and I just absolutely love getting to make a difference in the life of a child and our community members.
1: So, as small businesses, um, I know how busy you are being involved in the political processes locally, and it's never really occurred to me that I might need to know my elected officials or know who they are or what their name is. Tell me, as a small local business, why that matters? Why Why should I care? Oh, absolutely, you should care, because we are a,
2: we're impacted at a local level, a state level, and a federal level as a business, and you don't need to be in a crisis mode and then you're trying to look up who your elected officials are you want to start learning now who they're um, who they are get to meet them get their emails follow them on social media and if you can set up a time to have a coffee so that they know your name and they know your business so when a need arises you already have that relationship in place
1: that is Coronda Timish of Green Meadows Landscape. Now, if you've enjoyed this segment, don't go away because we have more insights, tips, and advice coming up in segment four of Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone. So stay right there.
0: Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and, really and on the web at DebbieSardone.com. But it must be moving on. Hi, my name is Ron Newton. I am the president of Peak Training Solutions and the author of the book, No Jerks on the Job. In No Jerks on the Job, I use a surprising source of insight, juvenile delinquents, to show you how to rescue your workplace from what is today's most crucial business problem, the presence of adult brats. My book is an indispensable resource for managers, co-workers, and anyone else dealing with toxic people. To get your copy of No Jerks on the Job, visit www.nojerksonthejob.com. Everyone hates a dirty house, but who wants to spend Saturdays cleaning? There's the vacuuming, the dusting, the mopping floors, scrubbing the toilets, cleaning the showers, and who even has the time to clean the ceiling fans or wash the baseboards? And if the kids have a game, well, there goes the weekend. That's why I use Buckets and Bows Maid Service. I love my busy life and my clean home.
1: You're listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio.
0: You're listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network.
1: We are back, and you're listening to Debbie Sardone. I'm your host each week as we talk about business, life, and success. And of course, now we are at our quality of life segment. And one obvious challenge that any business owner will face is navigating the seasonal fluctuations of their industry. The key is to develop skills and practices that allow you to remain profitable during the off-season or those periodic slowdowns. Not every company has a real hard and and fast off-season like a landscape company might have, but we all have periodic times of of slowdown or off-seasons. As entrepreneurs, we quit our day jobs so we could be our own boss, but sometimes the seasons in our business become our boss. But first, we have to recognize those seasons and anticipate those fluctuations. We need to stop reacting, getting caught off guard, and stop the panic-driven actions in our business. Instead, we can be ready and even embrace those seasons as we use those times for weeding, pruning, trimming, so to speak, in our business. So, of course, seasonal fluctuations result from dips in customer demand or supply issues. No one can prepare for every possible contingency, but consider some of these tips for developing and sustaining a more season-proof business. So, first of all, understand the cycles in your business. Rapid growth of a company is not unusual for a business owner whose new to an industry and that can be disguised as normal and a normal season leading the entrepreneur to expect healthy sales will continue year round and continually. But that's not necessarily the case. You may be experiencing a spike in growth just because you have a small business. Think about it. It's very easy to double zero. (laughs) It's easy to double a handful of customers. It's easy to triple a business that's in the startup phases. But you're not going to triple your business as you continue to grow. I mean, if you triple 10 customers, all of a sudden you have 30. That may seem like an easy task, but it's harder to go from 30 customers to 60, even harder to go from 60 customers to 120. And then, of course, it's even harder to go from 120 to 240. So understand that maybe a spike in growth is not an indication that there is never a seasonal period for your business, that there won't be a slowdown, because every one of us experience some spikes and decreases during a, a, a 12 month cycle in our in our business. So just understand there are cycles in every single business. Nobody just burns, 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 goes, 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 grows continually nonstop without some kind of a slowdown. Boy, I wish we did. I wish that was possible, but it just does not, it's not realistic. And then of course, number two, advanced planning. Look ahead at, at at least six months to plan appropriately, to carry that business through those slower periods. You have to be able to anticipate about six months out. You can't just wake up in the middle of a slowdown and react and really see success there. I know from my own company, because we own a maid service, we own Buckets and Bows Maid Service, we tend to plan ahead and we issue any rate increases that we plan to issue for the year, we issue those rate increases right before the busy season. Now, I think that's counterintuitive. A lot of cleaning business owners are planning to issue their rate increases when things slow, off, slow down a little bit in January, because they have more time to put together a letter. I think that's a mistake. If you're going to raise your prices ever so slightly, do it when people need you the most and they wouldn't think twice about just continuing because they're too busy to deal with switching services in the middle of a busy season. So we tend to issue our rate increases right at the very beginning of our busiest season of the year, which is for us, for a maid service, that tends to be the fall. So sometime in October is for us the best time to issue a rate increase. Nobody's going to cut out maid service when the holidays are on the heels. They are going to be throwing parties, they're going to be going out of town, they're going to be doing extra shopping or working long hours themselves during the holidays because it's the busy season. Another thing we anticipate, generally a good six months out, is we know January will be a very slow month for us. I mean, let's face it. People tend to overspend during the month of December. They've had extra travel in their budget to go see family or to bring family in to see them. They've spent a lot of money on holiday gifts, and it's just expensive for most families. So what do they do in January? They cut back. They're not calling that maid service that they've been wanting to call for a while. They're going to wait till February or March when they're a little bit recovered from overspending over the holidays. Uh, So... We just know just by years of experience that January is kind of a, a bad time to spend too much money on marketing because there's not enough people looking to spend extra dollars during the month of January. So one of the things we do is we cut out our most expensive advertising just during the month of January just to give us a little financial relief, and we know the results won't be as good as normal anyway. And then another thing that we do at our company is we try to sell more to the customers that we already have during our slow seasons. January and February is a perfect time to reach out to your existing customer base and upsell them. They do have needs. They're already spending money with you. You're already coming to their house. They've already budgeted your, uh, your cleanings. And so this is a great time to offer to do a deep cleaning after the holidays when all the Christmas decorations are gone and the the dusty tree is out um, in the trash heap. This is a great time to suggest maybe a, a, a nice discount to incentivize your existing customers to go ahead and book a deep clean. The mistake that many business owners have is we don't even try to sell more to the customers that we already have. We're always trying to chase a brand new customer. The slow season is a perfect time to provide this upsell of a deep clean or a a deep refrigerator and oven cleaning especially after the holidays when the ovens are so dirty it's a great opportunity to increase some revenues with the customers that are already using your service and then of course during the slow season um, well actually during the busy season I'm mistaken there during the busy season when you are just Flush with business. That's the best time to test a rate increase. You don't want to test a rate increase during your slow season because your phones aren't ringing as much. You're a little more desperate for a customer to say yes and not pass on your service. So, the best time to test a rate increase is it time to raise your your stated retail prices to raise your published prices per se. It's when demand is at its highest and you can actually afford for people to to pass on your service because maybe you are actually getting more demand than you can service. That's the perfect time to test a rate increase. If you used to be $36 $36 an hour, and you generally convert it at a, at a high conversion rate. When you're extremely flush with business, that's the time to test 38 an hour and see if your conversion rate drops or if it maintains. So understanding and anticipating these business seasons and cycles will enable you to uh, do some things during the slow seasons that you really shouldn't be doing when it's the busiest time of the year. And then, of course, number three, build alternative income streams. Although it may seem like a diversion from the core business, set up additional revenue streams if it's important in your industry, Um, additional revenue sources to counteract that off-season. Don't just settle for having this really slow spell. I'm working right now with a business owner up north who owns a landscape and maintenance business. And he has recently added maid service to his business to fill in the gaps during the slow season. Being up north, they do have extreme weather, unlike we have here in Texas. And so for him, his landscape and lawn maintenance business pretty much dries up completely for several months out of the year. So he's anticipated uh, that slowdown and has decided to add some additional revenue streams by connecting with that same customer base who already trusts his company, who already believes in his company, and connect them with a new venture, and that's adding maid service. So I've had the privilege of doing some coaching and mentoring, and he purchased my uh, Cleaning Business Fundamentals course. And what a great opportunity for a business that tends to be seasonal. I think another business that could avail themselves to my cleaning business training course would be a carpet cleaning company. Maybe the spouse, the owner, the owner's spouse might be interested in launching residential home cleaning while their spouse is out doing carpet cleaning because that can be very seasonal as well. Fewer people are going to clean their carpets in the summer when the kids are at home tracking in dirt all day and more people are going to ramp up the cleaning of carpets. During the fall, just like with maid service, when they have company coming and they're throwing parties and so forth. So building alternative income streams to kind of balance out those slow seasons. And, of course, we heard from Kronda Timmich. We heard from her in the last segment about that very thing and how she's built uh, the balance of revenue streams by making sure they include maintenance, which can be year-round in Texas as well as landscape and design services. And then lastly, stay in touch year round, especially if you have a highly seasonal business. Make it a point of maintaining visibility throughout the year, even if regular clients aren't much in contact during that off season. They might still be around, they're still paying attention. Be creative about finding ways to stay in touch with them year round. It's a great way to turn that one-time customer into repeat clients. I know for carpet businesses, carpet cleaning businesses, they tend to not stay connected with their their clients. I mean, the better ones do, but oftentimes they see their clients as maybe a once or twice a year type of client. We need to stay in touch with our customers year round, especially if we have a very seasonal business. You can do this with email social media, quarterly newsletters, even monthly newsletters during that dormant season people will forget you. Don't think for a minute that they will remember you simply because you were good. Every business has seasons and cycles. Some aren't as extreme, maybe as a lawn business or a landscape business. Uh, Maid service certainly doesn't see those extreme cycles, but we all have to be prepared for those seasons in business, the slow times and the the really fast-paced times. Don't get caught off guard. Don't fret. Don't panic. Just plan ahead. You've been listening to Cleaning Up with Debbie Sardone on the Real News Communications Network. Listen each week as we share business advice and interview local entrepreneurs who are cleaning up in life and in business. We'll see you next week.
0: For more information on cleaning up, visit us on Facebook and Twitter or at DebbieSardone.com.